Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the 9 Fiverr podcast. I'm Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. On today's episode, we welcome Joey Coleman, editor of thepublicrecord.ca, back to discuss the latest news from Hamilton City Council. Last week, Joey reported on the proposal by the city clerk to prevent letters critical of councillor behaviour being submitted to council and included in the public record. Supportive letters are allowed. It's only letters alleging impropriety that are banned. If a Hamilton citizen wants to suggest a councillor was out of line, they'll need to pay $100 and submit a complaint to the Integrity Commissioner. The same Integrity Commissioner, which is a company owned by the city's own former solicitor. In other words, somebody whose previous career was to defend the city against all complaints. The same Integrity Commissioner, which upheld a complaint against a citizen for tweeting information already in the public domain, but with only one exception, has dismissed complaints against councillors. So uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, uh, pretty much our first repeat uh, guest, uh, Joey Coleman, editor of uh, Hamilton's The Public Record. And uh, we invited Joey back today to uh, talk about uh, more happenings at Hamilton Council, which, which seems to be almost a, a weekly a weekly state of affairs at the moment uh, and uh, the one that that particularly piqued our interest uh, was that the uh, city of hamilton's currently looking at revising some of their procedures of how council operates and as part of that they have uh, suggested uh, not allowing people to send letters to council that are critical of councillors so uh, joey i mean that's my very uh, superficial background to it, but perhaps you could uh, give us uh, a, a le- uh, the more detailed version of, of what's going on here. So, yeah, so uh, it's almost become an annual tradition where the city clerk and city solicitor bring forth a report that officially is housekeeping amendments, but there's always these interesting things which are designed to react to the city clerk's political concerns about activities that I don't even know how, how we phrase it. Um, I'll use the term that the deputy city clerk used to describe my podcast where I interviewed all the candidates. Uh, it was considered an anti-incumbent activity. The theory being that the media partners do not traditionally cover races where there's an incumbent. Whereas I was going out and covering every race, which meant that candidates who were challenging incumbents were getting interviewed. And, you know, by definition, a election is an anti-incumbent activity. So, um, and so the city clerk brings this uh, amendment that would say that any letter that is critical of the behavior of a counselor or the council will not be put on the agenda. We have People are writing letters asking councillors to act befitting of their public office. Some councillors are unhappy with this. And then we have this amendment to the procedural bylaw to say that any communications that are critical of council behavior will not be put on the agenda, will not be made public, and instead will be sent to council's integrity commissioner. Which, so has originally written, this was this very general this is what we're going to do. No more letters critical of council behavior, which, of course, violates our charter rights of expression. 
citizens who, especially in the case where you have an integrity commissioner that has deemed counselors are allowed to assault people without consequence, counselors are allowed to threaten people on social media without consequence, threats which Twitter suspended a city councilor. And, you know, when you've reached the threshold that Twitter says you've gone too far, yeah. <laughs> you, you might have gone too far. Um, so, of course, uh, I challenged this. I wrote a letter to council explaining to them that, you know, they may, and I actually said, suggested reading is a grade 10 civics textbook, that we have the right to express our displeasure, that I have the right to say Whereas council voted 13 to 2 to say that they can assault people and be exempt from the city's zero tolerance for violence policy. I have the right to disagree with that. I have the right to say, no, I actually think that you should not be assaulting people, that you should be acting as adults. Um, but I didn't just leave it there. I actually did the proper and legal analysis, provided them case law, and explained to them in excruciating detail that you can't do this. What has become of this is that on Thursday, council met in its audit finance and administration committee, and they further amended this particular section that now it states communications which are in substance an allegation of a violation of the Code of Conduct or Municipal Conflict of Interest Act will be returned to the writer who will be advised of the mechanisms for bringing the allegations to the integrity commissioner. Now, what that has done, instead of a blanket ban, this is actually proper in that what's the pressing and substantive objective? The pressing and substantive objective is that the Municipal Act states that the Integrity Commissioner is supposed to deal with these matters. So making sure that it gets triaged to the Integrity Commissioner first off. Now, a citizen can turn around and say, I don't want to go to the Integrity Commissioner. I want this on the agenda. At that point, this does not prohibit it going on the agenda. That's going to be an interesting moment. Uh, one of the things with Hamilton City Hall is that they're usually full of bluster, but the second that citizens uphold their own rights, City Hall backs down. So those letters will get through, um, but it does undermine public confidence once again that instead of writing this amendment, has the amendment, or sorry, writing this rule has the amendment now says in the first place, which is the proper way to write a bylaw, a proper way to engage in it. It was this blanket statement. And what it came down to was that I made very clear to the city, I'll take you to court. I'll get a judge to explain to you, you can't do this. And then they actually went, oh, how do we properly do this instead of in the first place doing it properly, which would have resulted in all of us going, okay kind of makes sense. Um, and this is getting to the long-standing problem that we're seeing more and more as we discussed with the Integrity Commissioner one, where what does the law say? Well, the law says this, um, but for some reason, our city hall here in Hamilton decides they want to achieve an objective, and it may not be in keeping with the law, but they're going to try until somebody says, uh, grade 10 civics here, folks, you can't do that. Why? Why? Why are we even going down this route? Uh, I mean, why why the necessary at decision to prohibit negative uh, uh, opinions being expressed by citizens to uh, Hamilton City Council? I mean, I, I, I've always figured that part of the 
one of our cornerstones of democracy is that if I have a grievance with the behavior of one of my elected officials, I should be able to voice that grievance publicly and, and have it have it addressed. Yes, and uh, I'll use the term critical letters because what they're looking for is the concerns critical, not that they're negative, but that they're critical. Right, right. Negative letters can easily be dismissed. It's the critical, thoughtful letters, you know, when you have lawyers who come in front of counsel as citizens to discuss road safety and instead are grilled by counselors as being having nefarious agendas because they say, I don't want cars driving past the speed limit on residential streets. And so this is where this clash is occurring. And a lot of it actually has to do with the Hamilton politics. It's the reason City Hall has got a vendetta against me is because they can't control me. They have no leverage or influence over me. But I am symptomatic of a larger change in society in that citizens can now directly engage. Citizens can organize outside of the controlled channels that used to exist pre-internet. And City Hall is ultimately attempting to exert control where it shouldn't. And the ironic bit of this is that it merely results in more of what they do not want. Citizens don't go to City Hall and get disengaged before. And it, I spent some time in the public library archives before COVID. And there's always been these citizens who really take on City Hall in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But they get burned out and then they disappear. And so City Hall has been able to do that for so long that they presume that that's going to be the result now. But because we can network as citizens, that's not happening. And in fact, like when we talk about the council ban on letters critical of their behavior, most citizens don't bother to send a letter to council saying, please act like adults, because they know it's a waste of time. Council's not going to respond by acting like adults. But now that you say, I cannot send a letter to City Hall, now people are going, oh, well, I think I'll send a letter to make the point that I can. So, I mean, two points uh, arise to me from this i mean the first is that that it seems kind of like a sledgehammer to crack a nut and that um what harm do letters do even if they are critical um you know i mean obviously uh, they can be inconvenient to certain members of council but but so what i mean it's that's part of their job and the other one is that by by making an issue out of things like this they, they attract so much greater uh public disapproval to themselves it and comes would just down by to, doing nothing when you look at other municipalities uh, that, that have reached this you know, stage politics of, apart from anything else um, um just why insanity do they keep doing this? is that it spiraled out of control because there's a lack of leadership both on the staff side and on the council side um there is a growing sense of panic uh both on the council side and the staff side that Things have spiraled out of control. The public has had enough. Um, they were able to cover up the Red Hill and Coots and IT past the 2018 election. They knew about it. They intentionally chose staff, intentionally chose not to make public public information 
because they want it to assist the re-election campaigns of the incumbents, which is not the role of a professional staff. A professional staff's job is to make public public information. And so they recognize that the public has a disdain for them to a point now where it's throw out the bumps. And we saw that in Guelph in 2006, and that was about the Walmart development and how the Walmart development was proceeded with in Guelph, and you had a citizens' movement that just cleared house. We saw that in London, Ontario, and Niagara Region in the last municipal election. And when you clear house, you can't just clear the politicians. The new politicians have to come in and clear out the staff who have become loyal, not to their service to the public, but loyal to the politicians who have just been removed from office. And it becomes a spiral where everything, internally, there's a bunker mentality where everything is an oversized threat. And if we can just take care of this one threat here and take that sledgehammer to a mosquito, that somehow that'll end everything. But instead, what you've done is you've just cracked the entire foundation of your house with the sledgehammer on that mosquito. Uh, what you're saying is so incredibly familiar to me from from Burlington and, and uh, you know Burlington had a, a similar process and that there was a, a you know a, very much a regime change in 2018 it is such an important point that is that it's it's not just a council it's not just the staff there's a, a, a combined culture that that develops there that is extremely problematic um, and uh, yeah, that that feeling of paranoia of of, of uh, bunker mentality is is uh, so prevalent when you spend any time in these uh, with these institutions. Um, but I mean, in Hamilton, I have to say, from what I can see, takes it to a whole other level of, uh, of or extremity, I should say. Well, it's so Hamilton is it's it is taking it to an extreme, but we've seen this play out in other municipalities before. The difference is, is that we haven't seen it play out in a over half million single tier municipality. Um, and that does make it a bit unique, um, but it's also unnecessary. I mean, quite literally, we're in the middle of a pandemic and the work of the city must continue. So it's not that you know, other things do not occur at the city, but these types of priorities where you've had, you just go, how is this what these people are spending their time on? How is this what the city clerk's spending their time on when, for example, we're 18 months out from the municipal election? Uh, we don't know what that looks like. We don't know if we're going to be dealing with variants of COVID that we must be careful in terms of distancing, that type of thing. And like, there's all kinds of better priorities to spend our time on. And frankly, from my end, uh, I'm a policy nerd. Uh, in a way, this let me you know, nerd out on, here's the basics of civil rights as it relates to municipal expression. But I'd rather do something more subst substantive with my time. Um, just I, I, I'm reading on your your article on your on the website. Um, you mentioned that it was the uh, the city clerk and the solicitor who presented who presented this to council. And I'm wondering, maybe you can clarify where did this 
initiative come from? Was it uh, uh, come from the clerk and the solicitor, or was this under some kind of direction from a city councilor to go down this? Like, where 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 did this fiasco uh, originate from? We don't know. This is actually one of the really big problems with governance at Hamilton City Hall. The day we're recording this, which is uh, Friday, February 5th, we had a council meeting today where Councillor Maureen Wilson, Ward 1, who's one of the new councillors, was chairing. And decorum was starting to slip. Uh, People were getting testy with each other, and she asked for decorum by saying, please choose your words carefully. Don't refer to something as a silly idea because you're disparaging the person who's brought forth the idea. Be more thoughtful in your approach. And the mayor freaked out. How dare you? And the video clip is just unbelievable. Um, But this is what we're dealing with is somebody asked in a very polite manner. There was no passive aggressiveness to it. It was simply put, hey, you know, we're public officials. We're in a public meeting. Let's be thoughtful in our approach to not undermine each other. And the mayor freaked out. And so this is where uh, ultimately, and I tweeted this, which is, Ultimately, the way of fixing counsel in Hamilton is not rules. It's no longer procedure. It's about fixing the personalities. Mm -hmm. And that means when we go to the ballot box in 2022, being thoughtful about who we elect and the type of people we elect. And uh, that's something that journalists normally don't say because you burn your access. And the first priority of a lot of journalists is to maintain a certain level of access. It's necessary for the job. Um, and again, this gets to, you know, I stream the accountability and transparency committee city hall decides I need to be run out of town. And the great advantages I have is I'm reader funded. So I can say what needs to be said, which is in Hamilton, our problem is personalities. And that's why getting back to your question of who initiated this, it could have been any of them. That's a scary. That's a scary thought. If you if you step back and think about it, is that that's where where we're coming down to? Is that it's a, a personality that says I, I don't like having somebody say something bad or criticize my plans, so I'm going to take it upon myself to just start shutting down debate. Uh, it's a it's a scary idea, especially especially in light of what we've seen around the world with democracies. Uh, I know, I know it's just Hamilton, but you know, this, this all starts somewhere. And could you just give us the background to the, to the video story as well, to, for anybody who hasn't heard it, that you have been doing something that I, again, I would think any city with a brain would want people to do, which is making sure people get access to videos of, of council meetings and, and not just council meetings, but, uh, uh, um, the uh, advisory committee uh, meetings and things like that. What a wonderful thing to do. And the reaction to that has been dot, dot, dot. Um, absolute warfare. Uh, I have been harassed, retaliated against, uh, assaulted twice now at Hamilton City Hall, all for asking for basic public information. Um. I mean, it's an interesting thing when you think about what I've gone through and the fact that, uh, you know, at some point I'll write my memoirs and tell them my life story. I mean, I was a crown warrant. You don't end up in foster care because your childhood's good. And so 
this violence and intimidation I can handle because of those experiences, which is not, you know, it's a resiliency, but it's an, it's a resiliency that shouldn't be necessary. Yeah. It's been this interesting thing where I brought a camera into public meetings, allowed people to see what council's doing and that changed everything. And this happens in other industries as well. It's not uncommon that somebody comes in and changes the rule book by doing something that makes a lot of sense to those of us who are outside of that system. But for the people inside the system, it means that they've lost control. And so, for example, and these were interesting battles where the city would go to the Ontario Municipal Board and drag me to the OMB to try to grill me as if there was something, some nefarious agenda I had. Because what would happen is people would go to the OMB and the city would submit a set of minutes that said, this is what, what happened. And the video would actually show, no, something else occurred. And then you get in a battle over evidence. The OMB now accepts my videos without question. But that was an example of where the power imbalance changed, where the city no longer could say, this is what happened. The citizen then says, no, that's not what happened. And then the board goes, well, you need to prove that, citizen, you need to prove that B happened when the city says A, because now the citizen can come in and say, well, actually, here's the video that proves this is what occurred. And so in the case of Lloyd Ferguson, who as police board chair had a great deal of power and as accountability and transparency chair oversaw the integrity commissioner, he uh, was angry that uh, I targeted the accountability and transparency committee to be accountable and transparent. And he assaulted me after a meeting uh, and that turned into a huge saga. Um, I mean, ultimately it comes down to the city hall would rather be able to work with nobody watching and that's not how government works. That's not how it works in a democracy. And in fact, if they did their job well, um, the videos, the reality is when government's functioning well, not many people are paying attention, and that's good. That can be fine. Uh, but they were doing their job well. People would go, oh, these guys are not bad at what they're doing. It's when you get into these situations like going back to Thursday's meeting where the city clerk says, well, you know, uh, the the council agenda is not a platform. We don't allow just any letter onto the agenda. The letters have to be related to items that are on the agenda that day, which is in fact not true. If you look at a council agenda, they accept a wide range of letters, often letters from citizens and citizens groups asking council to endorse a position on federal or provincial legislation. And that's fine. I actually think it's great that people use their local council as a jumping off point to get involved in civic life and politics. And in fact, I wish that we could figure out a way of having local members of parliament come together on a regular basis to hear citizen delegations on matters that they could then take to Parliament Hill. Um, one thing that's fascinating, I'll quickly say about the American political system, is that representatives in Congress, there's an expectation that you hold the town hall. And yes, we all watch the videos on YouTube of when those town halls get crazy or um, weird. But that idea that your representative stands humbly in front of you and deals with both the wacky, but also the thoughtful. And we still have that in our councils. I actually think Burlington, for example, I've been 
quite impressed this term of council where they now have their afternoon session and their evening session, and they take delegations during both. Um, as we're recording this, people are going to hear this after, but our public delegations for council in Hamilton for the budget, which is a requirement of provincial law, once a year they have to hold public delegations at, in the evening for budget. There's over 50 people who are planning to do a video delegation. And that's going to be a good moment for democracy because a lot of people, that's their first ever time public speaking, their first ever time engaging in democracy. And municipalities should welcome that, embrace it, and facilitate it. Absolutely. I mean, it, it and it's the, it's the, the big advantage of municipalities that we have, they should operate as they are the closest to us. So you can do things. It's pretty difficult for anybody in the province to turn up at the door of uh, the Ontario legislature and, and kind of knock on it and have their say. But we can do that at a local level. And anybody involved in municipal politics really needs to get behind the idea that this is a good thing, a really good thing that can uh, transform the way that people feel about politics because it isn't so remote from them uh, that you can actually go and see the person you elected and pretty much speak to them direct. Uh, it, it, I mean, I think we have a thousand miles to go in every municipality in, in Ontario and how, how this is done. And, and we're, uh, there have certainly been positive moves, for instance, in Burlington. I I could go on some length about why they're not quite positive enough, but that's me. <laughs> um, but there is at least the, the acknowledgement of, you know, not everybody is available during the day and so on and so forth. Now, I was going to ask, uh, just sort of widening this out to an extent, um, do you think there's something fundamentally wrong with the way that we organize our municipal government that this happens? Because what you're describing is a pattern that can be seen in other places. You know, what is it about our processes, the way that we elect councils, the way that we, that those councils interact with staff, that seems to so often create this, this um, really toxic environment that I, I don't feel exists at other levels of government. Um, I'm not saying other levels of government are perfect, goodness knows they're not, but uh, you kind of feel that the, st the staff and the, and the politicians are kind of on the same side. Yeah, everybody knows whose role is what and um, the rules are the rules. So in Ontario, we have 444 municipalities. The Ministry of Municipal Affairs no longer exercises much of an oversight role. Beyond making sure that a municipality is not running a deficit and not about to become insolvent, uh, the Ministry of Municipal Affairs is hands-off. Uh, the water utilities are now heavily regulated after Walkerton. But Walkerton was a good example of where the province just wasn't looking after water systems. Um, so you have no oversight through the ministry. The Ontario Municipal Board, now known as the Local Planning Appeal Tribunal, is no longer outside of planning, no longer is an oversight body. At one point it was, uh, for example, municipal budgets had to be approved by the the what was at the time the Ontario uh, municipal and railway board. Um, so that's an improvement. We don't want that level of micromanagement. Uh, on the staff side, there are many factors, but the staff do not have the job security that exists in the provincial bureaucracy or the federal bureaucracy. Um, in that, 
at a certain level, your very upper levels of the provincial and federal uh, civil service, in theory, they serve at the pleasure of the government. But in reality, except for the deputy ministers, they all stay on. And somebody who's a deputy minister is in their they're ready to retire. They're doing that. That's the last thing they do in that career. So the boundaries are more clearly defined. And it's also that um, – so there's an interesting integrity ruling that just went on to Canley in Oshawa where you had a counselor who emailed the director of municipal bylaw enforcement concerned about how bylaw was handling a group that was handing out free meals in a park during COVID, which was causing gathering. And this was this is where it's going to improve. Guy Girono, who is a integrity commissioner for multiple municipalities, investigate the matter. Somebody filed a complaint, said this counselor was directing staff, but not just any staff, by law enforcement staff, which they are not supposed to do. And Girono had did a really good job as integrity commissioner of breaking down what happened explaining why the counselor should not have done what they had done, even though they were acting in good faith, drawing those clear boundaries, and then issuing a warning to the counselor, which is, you did violate the code, you need to attend a training session, and I would suggest the rest of council take advantage of this training as well. So we are seeing the integrity commissioner role, when done properly, when not abused by a council, is going to slowly start correcting that. And that's what's occurred, is that there's been a lack of external oversight, and the reality is that all of us are fallible, and we need checks and balances. And without those checks and balances, even in good faith, we make mistakes. And so while Hamilton is an example of bad faith, a lot of these things that start occurring in municipalities, a lot of these small examples, are personality conflicts or just people meaning to do the right thing, but not realizing where those lines are. And that's because, you know, take, for example, I'll, I'll say like a small municipality, your chief administrative officer could also be the guy who cuts the grass at the local park because you have three staff in your entire municipality. That's one of those things that, you know, we, we tend to forget that anybody can run and be elected for public office. There's no, um, th there's no job description that you have to fill out other than being of uh, proper age and being really a citizen of, uh, of Canada. Uh, so I, I, you're, you have, you have an excellent point there that, you know, people do have good intentions, but you know, we forget sometimes that the rule book is a rather complicated and, and lengthy one and not everyone's an expert on, on the process, which might come back to our issue with Hamilton that, you know, you, you want to get things done. And sometimes that rule book looks a little tedious to have to go through or to have to read with a fine tooth comb to understand it. But, you know, that's, that's part of your job. It's also like, take, for example, the advisory committee. So the city clerk destroys the videos of their meetings as soon as they're done. I now record them while they're broadcasting live you know, the city clerk says, well, the municipal act doesn't require me to keep the records. And I've declared that they're not a record, which a video is a record. But, you know, uh, the problem is, is that for me to uphold that and to take the clerk to court over it is a couple thousand dollars and lots of my time. Um, 
But, you know, as I've tweeted a few times, this clampdown that's occurring on citizen committees, which we saw taken to the extreme with the LGBTQ committee, I always sort of shake and go, so they're, they're advocating for things that City Hall doesn't like. If you go back on the records of citizen committees, they've always advocated for things that City Hall doesn't agree with. And I've often said, I don't understand why the clerk doesn't do the same thing which they've always done, which is just ignore them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. I, there's a, a very hollow laugh coming from me right there. <laughs> you know, advisory committees are kind of a joke. You know, I mean, they, they shouldn't be. They, they absolutely should be the driving force behind how citizens engage with uh, councils in, in a more meaningful way. But, you know, they range between coffee clutches and, uh, and, kind of activist groups who activist groups try to operate within city hall and neither neither is ultimately the right approach you know they usually don't have a budget um they often don't really know what they're supposed to be doing um it, it it's a ludicrous system and, and again it's a sledgehammer to crack a nut you know it's 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 like they have no standing really within it within a city other than to give advice which there is no obligation on anybody to listen to um it's it's so bizarre that 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 they would uh go down this road and it's, it's so self-defeating um uh you know it's you know going back to the sort of uh grade uh grade five civics lessons or whatever grade it was i can't remember um you know it's like if you were telling someone how to how to stay out of trouble in politics it would be like don't do stuff like this this is ridiculous you know you don't need to just steer clear of it. Everything will be fine. <laughs> I, I, I do have a, I do have a question that this you probably don't have an answer to. But do they think what they're doing is okay? And they do they think that they'll get away with it? Like telling telling the public you can't you can't tell us that we're doing a bad thing, and they think yeah the public's going to be okay with this. They think they can get away with it. Yeah, and they have been able to get away with it in the past. But again, it gets to, and this is why there's such a violent, both figurative and literal reaction to my journalism, is that they could get away with it before because nobody could see what they were doing. Mm. And now people can see it. And, you know, uh, when you study politics, the most successful municipal politicians are generally actually quite boring. They just get the job done week in, week out. Um, or, you know, in the case of, you know, Hamilton's longest serving mayor, Bob Morrow, you can't really point to big projects that he did and you can't really point to initiatives that he did, but he was boring. Um, he had a few controversies, which, you know, he probably should have got more heat for, but he, he took care of what you expect of a mayor and, I think that that's one of the great challenges for politicians today is that they believe that they're going to hold a great deal of power. And maybe that's because that's how we, we romanticize it both in fictional media. And then even when you look at professional uh, journalism, we always talk about Justin Trudeau decided Trudeau decided this Doug Ford decided that. When in reality, actually, especially at the municipal level, the mayor is one vote of how many people on council. 
And so that's where I think we end up in these situations. Yeah, uh, uh, very few candidates for municipal office understand quite how weak they are going to be if they're elected, and quite how the extent to which they cannot set any kind of agenda. Um, now, the mayor has slightly more clout, but um, but not a huge amount. I mean, and it varies from city to city. I know in Toronto, they, they, they've kind of got special exemptions to an extent from the way that municipalities usually act. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you feel that that's, if there, if there were qualifications for the job, that would be the most important one. Like, do you realize that you are you are the guy who says yay or nay to things that other people have decided, uh, not you? Um, and fine, fine, you've got the veto on it uh, if you can get enough votes from your from your colleagues. But uh, uh, it's to think of a mayor as the prime minister of a city is, is such a fundamental misunderstanding. Um, and yeah, they probably would do well to. Um, appreciate that a little bit better. Well, thanks so much, uh, Joey, for, for coming on again. And um, it's absolutely fascinating. And I think I think one of the things we hope in, in this podcast is to kind of shine a light on, on how these things work for people, because we do, like you say, the, the, the average level of knowledge of how city halls actually operate is, is so low. Um, and yet, it affects every. You know, we, we all pay attention to to uh, power and politics, um, which on a day to day level hardly affects us at all, and we have no idea what's going on down the ho- down the road at City Hall. And uh, it is when you get it explained to you a bit better, really a really interesting and uh, just shocking sometimes how dysfunctional it, it becomes. So we really appreciate uh, you becoming you coming on again to uh, to talk about the the latest. Um, uh, shenanigans, diversions. Yeah, the latest <laughs> shenanigans of uh, Hamilton City Hall, and it's going to be a very interesting eighteen months until the next election. I have to say, it, it's going to be very fascinating. There's so much uh, going on in the community. I think the most fascinating thing will be once in-person organizing can resume again. Some of these citizen groups that have been forming across the city mm-hmm. that start reconnecting. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see what becomes of it and how do all of the political dynamics play out, uh, in Hamilton. It's going to be fascinating, but it's going to be fascinating right across the entire of Southern Ontario. Cause I actually think people are also realizing government does more than pick up garbage. Absolutely. Well, thank you for coming on. Take care guys. Have a good one. Bye. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media, Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time.
looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.